Here we are in studio with the Andrew Schultz. That's right. In studio with us right That's now. Right. In, in looks like 80% uh, capacity. I would say 50. Okay, tops. 50% capacity. All right. Uh, I want to warn everybody up front that this is an explicit podcast, but this episode will probably be more explicit than most. Okay. Hide, hide your children. Hide your children. Um, and oh anything goes. So we are, we are officially an explicit podcast. So you're fine. <laughs> so, Andrew. Is that, is that that's to prepare people for the cursing <laughs> in the efficiency that, world? Is there not a lot of a foul language or what? Oh no no no! There we, we yeah, Nick, some, Nick some, particularly curses a lot. Yeah, yeah. sometimes uh, you would like, think fuck is just the most direct way of saying it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm yeah. all about the bad words. It's um, it's 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 really the when you get to the point where you have to be more creative with those curse words. That yeah, but isn't that less efficient? It it would be less efficient. That's true, right? Like a, the VA would just say, "Say exactly how you feel." Yeah, but don't the problem find is, a but the problem way is that most most swear words are like the Swiss arm or Swiss Army knives, right? Okay. So like if you're you you're, you're less specific if you're using a curse word in a lot of cases. Like fuck can take so many forms and mean so many different things. Yeah, but not if you speak English. You know exactly. Like I'm trying to fuck. Nobody's like, I think he's upset. <laughs> right? Like, you know exactly what I want to do if I'm like, I'm trying to fuck. Or if, or if I just bump something, I'm just like, fuck! You're like, ah, oh, he bumped his knee. But what about for me? I'm monotone, so I might just say like... Yeah, you're robotic. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I, want, yeah. I want fuck. I want fuck. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, they don't really have VAs. It's just Nick answering every single thing <laughs> on the computer. <laughs> it's a, Nick robot an, reaction. Nick, Nick once answered a live chat on the website pretending to be a robot and, really did it know. work perfectly you most that, people most people want to convince oh, you I, that when, the robots yeah, are yeah, human so, <laughs> we, we use this tool called intercom and people are like am i talking to a real person and I, i'll be like i'm a very smart boss so i'll write i'll write back and be like no you're not but i'm really really smart and if you ask me anything i can probably answer <laughs> and they'll be like wait <laughs> is this really a robot I'll be like yes but love what it. the fuck do you want <laughs> i love it i love it <laughs> That's good. You're like the robot that doesn't that doesn't turn into a Nazi, right? Yeah. Isn't that what that robot did? Which which Didn't one? Didn't Microsoft release a robot or something like that on Twitter? It was like a. a oh yeah, they got really racist within really like fast. 14 hours. It yeah, went it was full super racist. Nazi, yeah. like racist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you didn't hear about that? No. Yeah. Which I mean, I guess it matters what city they first launched it in for it to learn the language. Huh? I think Twitter I, was just like it was all Twitter, and people were like speaking to it, and somehow it got yeah. it got it got real bad. <laughs> yeah, like that's because it 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 would react to what the people wanted to. I don't fucking know. To be honest with you. The point is that would never happen with you. That's the good thing about yeah. Nick, the robot Nick, is that yes, <laughs> is, that, is that you're an independent thinker. You know. So, anyways, uh, for all those listening, Andrew and I have been turned on, <laughs> turned off after the Nazi and fucked up. <laughs> um, Andrew and I have been friends for a very long time. Uh, we went to college together, mm-hmm. and we share a lot of the same mutual best friends. But we didn't really get close until. Then, you know, recently, recently, because you know, I graduated a bit early. You were in Spain. I graduated late. And, and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that you whole got early. Out early. I took a little extra time. You know, I, I was rem- busy fucking, bro. I know. While you were fucking, I was doing my math. No, you had the coolest bike in college. I remember seeing you on your bike, tricycle. So, yeah, he, everyone I had, had a. Wheel. I went tricycle. Dog. Everyone at Santa Barbara had a cruiser. Mm-hmm. He fucking went. Tricycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I tried to go golf cart. <laughs> I wanted to go golf cart and drive the golf cart around campus, but it was five grand or something crazy for a golf cart. And I called up the golf courses, but uh, because I understood, you know, this is freshman year. I gotta like, I gotta make a little noise. You know, that's how it's gonna <laughs> I mean, have to happen. I'm gonna get a lot of hate for it. You know, the dudes are gonna hate, but if the girls are trying to. No, you fuck, fuck, and we're good to go. You know, I got it. <laughs> so, uh, just to to keep things on a, on something of a track here. Sure. How how uh, how does someone like yourself become a professional stand up comedian? I uh, I was managing a restaurant when I was in college, uh, my super senior year. Which and uh, which, which restaurant? Uh, I forget the name of it. Bricks. It was called Bricks Cafe. I swear to God, he thinks I'm lying. I really no, was. I know. This I was is managing, funny. I was going to school, managing a restaurant, very efficient with my time. And uh, you worked your way up to that. I worked my way up. And uh, by the way, I put two restaurants into the ground. I All just right. want to put that out. I'm not very good at managing restaurants. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you're like out of business, like completely, like people's life savings. You're just I like fucking the take ground. the pizza, just get the bro. No, I once had an idea to open up, and, and I don't know how I convinced this guy, but of the restaurant I put in the ground in Santa Barbara, I, uh, I, he was like, "What can we do?" He was his Argentine guy. What can we do to improve the business? We need to improve the business, and I just go, you know what we need. A cider bar in the back. He <laughs> was like, what are you talking about? All wood. It's this cider thing. I was in Spain when I was 14. Okay. They pour the cider from real high and it gets in the glass. It's a little messy, but these kids are going to love it. Right? He built a fucking yeah, cider bar. He built it. Are you convinced I, I convinced him to build a fucking cider bar. We didn't pour a single glass of cider the entire time I was there, bro. Not a single fucking glass of cider. It was brutal. Oh, God, my ideas for management were so bad. Like, we were taking a long time to get the food out, so I would just, I would come up with these ideas, like, all right, Undercook guys. Undercook it. Literally, no, 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 ready? I go, guys, we know we're gonna sell pasta, right? They're like, yeah, just cook it earlier, and then we'll heat it up. It's like, no, this isn't microwavable dinners. Makes sense to me. <laughs> so it was bad. Anyway, they had a comedy night there. Um... Randomly at this place I manage, I really always love stand up and uh, at the restaurant. At the it? restaurant, we would do once a week they have on the comedy. cider bar. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, no. This is before cider bar. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it was just it was. Uh, they asked me if I wanted to try it. They saw that I was really interested. I always love comedy. I probably would have never tried it unless they asked. And then I I just tried it out and I did. I bombed my ass off the first time, but like the third time I did well, or the second time I did way better than I should have done, but it, it, it was enough. To entice me, it was enough to make me go. Oh, okay, I can, I can do this. You well, know, I really have to say that I have a lot of respect for you. I never told you this, but I've seen. I've never gotten the feeling. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I've known you for a long time, so I've seen what it took to get to where you're at now. Sure. And congratulations Thanks. for all of your success. But it, it was a lot of grinding, and I mean that's a fucking brutal industry that you're yeah. in. I mean, it took you years and years of. Doing the grind and doing multiple shows a night at yep. like weird times of the day and yep. and probably making very little money, I'd imagine, for a long time at the yeah, beginning. Um, so the the amount of like I just like heart and and hustle and grit that you that you have to to get to where you're at, it's yeah. it's respectable. Yeah, it's thanks, man. It's tough. It's uh, it can be definitely a tough business. I mean, I was fortunate, you know. I had folks. I didn't have any college loans. My, my parents paid for my college. And then I was looking, working while I was in college, so I saved up like, I don't know, like 25 grand, and I was going to open up a bar with my buddy. Even and with your background in the restaurant even business? Even with my background yeah. in putting businesses <laughs> out of business, quit. right? I was, just, <laughs> exactly. was it a cider Dude, bar? I was tilt, bro. I was like, you playing fucking chess in the park, right? Have you have you seen him play chess in the yes, park? I have. This guy. He saw me got crushed came, one day. <laughs> Dude, game after game, we had to literally <laughs> yank him away from the table. There's a guy with three teeth in his face. Mm -hmm. He knows what I love. Oh, he's been on the podcast. podcast. It's all right. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's all right. I fucked until he loved me the week after that. Did you really? I don't believe it. You come, I think come he back plays and watch. You. I think he plays you. No, it matters how drunk he is. All right, fair uh, enough. Anyway, I don't know where, where we're going with that. Oh, yeah. You were talking about just, the cider bar you wanted to open. Oh, yeah, so we were going to open a bar. So I had some money, and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to spend this money being funny. So like, I ate falafel sandwiches every day. I would spend like $5 a day on food. I'd live with my folks. I'd just eat everything they had. And then I would just do as much stand-up shows as I possibly could. And... um yeah, I just kind of like I, – I looked at what was working and what I felt like I needed to do and I tried to execute. I think that uh, – I think a lot of times with stand-up, the issue with people is like they want to be – they get what they want. They just don't realize what they want. And a lot of times they just want to be on stage you know, or be around comics. They don't want to have a career in it. They say they want it, but they don't really be as if they did, then they would do what was necessary to have that career. So for me, it was always, you know, I was very strategic from the beginning about the career end of it. How much do you prepare? Like, how much is it structured? How much do you write out before, like, you know? I mean, I used to write my set out all the time and rewrite it all the time. I was quite obsessive with it. And uh, now it's just I kind of work it out on stage. I like take really? an idea on stage and just, all right, let me, you know, work and flow with this. And, you know, I have a very conversational style, so it lends itself to just kind of, there's a lot of pausing. There's a lot of... <laughs> There's a lot of dead space, so when there is dead space, the audience isn't uncomfortable with it. Like, you set their expectation of comfort, right? So if you're a guy who's just rifling off joke, 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 and then there's dead air, then they freak out. 
right? Because like, I'm not used to this. You know, it's like a kid feeling uh, anxious without his parents around. But if you let that kid eventually get confident in not being around, then they'll be comfortable. So, yeah, I just like taking an idea up there and then just, you know, feeling it out. Well, and, and what and like what happens when a joke doesn't land? Like what's you know? It's just uh, I'm way more comfortable bombing than the audience is. You're right. Sure, that makes right? sense. Because I've experienced it's like it's like coming fast. Like the girl feels so embarrassed for you, but it's like, do you know what I mean? It's just like I've been here before, babe. Like I'm, I'm, I'm nice with it. Like I got excuses ready. Like, I'm done. I'm, this is, I'm the best when it. Like she's like, it's okay, and it's like, I know it's okay. You, it's your fault. You know On to the next thing. That was a, this was a win. I mean. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah. Now we don't want to do it. It's the worst when your friends are there, right? When because you come too fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, Nick, I'm sorry, cool. bro. Well, <laughs> well, now, now that you know about this camera, you don't need your friends to be there videotaping exactly. anymore, huh? Well, you, know, you, know what, you know what the Houdini is, right? Say again? The Houdini? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You when, you're, when you're outside? Yes, and then, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're, y'all, you guys can look that up. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that, yeah, people would call it uh, sexual assault now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, the Houdini is different than I'm thinking of the uh, poltergeist. Oh, so the Houdini, the the Houdini is, I learned these all from a Patrice O'Neill special, but uh, Houdini is, and this is going to get very graphic for all of you um, uh, folks. But we forewarned everyone. All right, just letting you know, don't be a a fucking bitch and just man up, okay? (laughs) Man up. You can handle this. Houdini is you're making love to a woman from behind like a gentleman. And uh, <laughs> so, and then before you orgasm, what you do is you actually um, spit on her back, and then she assumes that is the orgasm, and then turns around, and then she's like, "Did you orgasm?" Boom, and then, <laughs> and then you hit her with it. So that's the Houdini. The poltergeist is way better. The poltergeist is uh, you're also making love from behind, like a gentleman, and you um, have a friend. And he's uh, he's 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 outside of the room, and then you pull out, and then and he then you do a switch. He switch, but she doesn't know. And then you go around, you go outside the window, and then you just wave at her <laughs> like a ghost. So you got to coordinate the cologne, huh? exactly. You yeah, yeah, coordinate yeah, yeah, the cologne. Coordinate on that the one. cologne. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, oh, I feel you. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what that has to do with what we're talking about today, but now you guys. Well, know. now well, you're talking about coming this... too fast in front of your friends, but and then and bombing on stage and bombing on stage. But you got to yeah. fail, right? Is you guys understand? business right don't you have to fail a certain or be comfortable failing if you're afraid of failing you just gotta pivot (laughs) yeah maybe that's it yeah learn how to fucking learn how to fucking pivot but if i didn't for i mean not every joke is gonna work but you at least got to bring it on stage and and at least see if it will work see if you can find something in it maybe leave it alone for three years and then in three years oh maybe you'll be ready you know but uh just kind of for me it's one of those things that as I get a little bit more secure in who I am, you know, I was way more insecure in the beginning. I, I was trying to get validation from this audience and every show to my self-esteem was dependent on. And as I've become more comfortable in going, no, no, you're a funny person. You're good at what you do. It doesn't matter if this goes badly. I've been willing to take more risks because my self-esteem wasn't this mirror of the audience every single night. So maybe, so, uh... yeah. One of the things that always strikes me about stand-ups, I guess comics in general, but particularly stand-ups, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems like you guys are extremely observant. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, every, every I mean, it doesn't matter what the style is, every show I've ever seen uh, for, for stand-up, they say, it's like, you know when this happens or something, and it's like, you're instantly like, oh yeah, that fucking, like, I hate when that happens, but you never think about <laughs> it, right? About it, it's yeah. like, but they notice that. So to me, it's, like, it's an incredible skill set if you're able to actually, like, observe those sort of subcurrents everything that's happening in life Mm. yeah chris rock says uh well that's the reason why comics tend to be so depressed (laughs) because they can observe so much (laughs) because it's like if ignorance is bliss what's the opposite yeah Mm -hmm. right so being like hyper aware hyper self-aware and you know constantly it's it's the opposite of what tony robbins probably says to do the entire time at his thing right instead of being in your head and overthinking 
that's what being a comic is, just being in your head and overthinking. Any, like, mindfulness coach, any <laughs> meditation coach, like, so, any self-help guy will say, don't be a comedian, essentially, with your brain. So do, so do you meditate, or, like, how do you balance that? Because I've been that, doing Headspace now that yeah. I, I hung out with Schiff, and I saw how effective it was. We had, <laughs> oh, we had the funniest dinner the other week. This was brilliant. <laughs> Schiff uses Headspace? <laughs> he needs to after you talk about his company. Oh, yeah, so we're, we're out with a friend of ours named Aaron. And Aaron was actually on the episode. Oh, he was probably, on. Yeah, maybe was... on the episode right previous to your. Oh, episode. sweet! Is yeah. he following us live right now? I hope he is. But uh, <laughs> so I didn't know that. Did you talk about your relationship with him and how it works? Uh, no. How you invested in his company no, just to make sure, <laughs> just to protect yourself in case it did well. <laughs> <laughs> this piece of shit. <laughs> I like to be hedged. All right, hedged I come from finance as a prank. How hysterical! That's my he favorite. The dots, he connected the dots and then he, yeah. he freaked out. Dude, so we're sitting there and then uh, uh, talk about the company. I think he gets like a little dig at the company and then Schiff goes, well, that's why you invested in it. And then you couldn't help yourself but go, yeah, just in case it did well, I'm hedged. And then Schiff just literally starts melting from the inside. He goes, he goes he's, red. He's, he's screaming. He goes, wait, wait, what? what? I'll fucking buy you out right now. I will go to the ATM. I'll buy you out right now. I sent him now. a Venmo request for 10 grand. <laughs> it's a great long form prank. Though. You got to respect the long form. That prank. is that is a yeah. long. Play. I'm, I'm always you know I'm always for the long game. Yeah, um, but uh, have you been? I went to this. I've started doing a bit of meditation too because yeah. I, I get in my head a lot. And there's sure. a place on Eighth Street called uh, Mindful. Okay, we'll go sometime. It's yeah. good. Let's do it. Yeah, 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 I tried the Headspace thing. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, it's it's tough for me. Um, but you're, are you still going to Mindful? I haven't for a while. I've been traveling. I'll, I'll get back into Headspace it. Headspace is just convenient. It's just right there. I do meditate, though. Yeah. I do. Even if it's... I know it sounds weird, but like even like a nap, in a way, is meditative. Or like a really hard run is meditative. Anything just yeah. gets me out of my head. I, I agree. Like when Larry Love crushes me at chess, that to me is meditation. Because yeah. I'm not thinking about anything, anything else, else but the guy with three teeth that's crushing me. Right yeah. Now. Plugged in. You know? For real. Fully plugged in. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk a bit about comedy. Like, sure. I think a conversation with a stranger can be meditative. Anything that For requires sure. all of your, especially a girl, like a date is meditative. Like anything requires all of your attention. You know, like it makes you hyper focus on what's happening. And, and a lot and, of people think meditation is just like sitting in front of the ocean with your eyes closed in like Indian style yeah. position. But no, like a hard workout or anything. It's just clearing oh, your mind. Boxing is meditation for me. Yeah. And the shit kicked out of me works very well. <laughs> oh, dude. Boxing was the best workout I've ever had in my life. It's it is boxing is the antithesis of so I play basketball for exercise now, the, the worst exercise, because it does nothing to make your body look good, yeah. and destroys the inside of your body. Like on the yeah. inside, I'm torn apart. When I was boxing, yeah, my inside felt like shit, but at least, yeah, the outside you're ripped, you know, and you feel like you could beat people up. It's just a <laughs> oh, it's the I, best. Didn't you do the boxing competition at Santa Barbara? Yeah, yeah, fight night. Fight I did night. It. Yeah, How yeah, did, yeah. You, did you win? Yeah, yeah, I beat him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he didn't have, even have shoes. It was really weird. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was, I think, and he, like, threw a punch, and, like, he tried to hit me before the bell. It was really weird. The guy was out of it. But there I was, like, him. a school competition. There's, like, thousands of people in the stadium, and then you don't have to be, it's, like, amateur boxing, but students just fight each other. <laughs> it was one That's of a them. good idea. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was so much fun. Yeah, I beat the <laughs> shit out of this little kid. <laughs> no business being there. He was, like, 5'8". He was barefoot. Like, I had shoes on everything. Oh, it was just great. I just beat the shit out How of him. How come you don't box anymore? Um, we, uh, we, were going to, we were going to Church Street a lot. Church is good. Did you yeah. do it? What's the guy's name? Tough guy? He Which got one? Black Eric? dude? Eric. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you ever work out with him? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Is he the one with the the lazy eye yeah. that was on so the video? So he's Gleason's now. Oh, okay. Ooh, he, he moved. Had, yeah, so he and I had a, a, a really funny conversation, actually. He was walking. I was coming into Gleason's to, to work out. I had my, my gloves and stuff in a Whole Foods bag just because I didn't have my regular year. And it's like, <laughs> what you cooking? What's going on? What, you know, is there enough for me? Like, I, I was like, yeah, sure. You know, he's like, can I bring my bitches? I was like, do they have big asses? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yo, Eric is Eric, right? Yeah, yeah. That dude, that guy got like some internet fame. I'm surprised oh, he yeah. didn't get a TV show. He's or got something. a podcast. Oh, he does. Yeah, it's that was hysterical. such a funny video <laughs> when he's ripping on the Wall Street guy. Yeah, that uh, was yeah. hilarious. But wait, but why TV? You mean you don't want your face fucked up? Yeah, it's just like it's hard for me to just be in the gym and not want to spar. Yeah, well, but so. But then it, what happens? Heal. Is I get they heal, but like they might not heal on the timeline. You know, yeah, like, no, I, I might have a black eye, and then it's like you got to film next week. 
And it's like, orb, my nose all fucked up. You never know. Well, so I, I was sparring. I was, I was, I was training pretty hard. I was going to do this charity event, and uh-huh. then, um, and I had a blue collar boxing. No, it was called Haymakers for Hope. Okay. So it's a cancer charity, um, and uh, I, I've sparred this guy who was like forty pounds on me, and it was, it was good. I mean, he was tough, but it was, it was a really good fight. I, I'd say we like were pretty much equal in, in fighting. But I came home and I had a bloody nose, fat lip, and a black eye, and my wife was like. Fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you're, you're a parent. You're, like, yeah. you're, gonna, you're gonna scare the kids. Four kids. Yeah, you're like, scare the kids. For what? It, they don't get it. It's like Fight Club makes sense. Well, but, yeah, but, so, right. I loved it, but I looked in the mirror. I was like, well, maybe there's a point. Maybe this will look kind of weird if I go into a meeting or something. But or I look love great. It. Yeah, right. Because yeah. you're, you would look. I'm savage. here to negotiate the, terms. Yeah, yeah the, the last guy didn't adhere to my terms. Exactly. <laughs> Is that your blood? Some of it. I love, I love boxing, man. It's my favorite sport to watch. I mean, I was just at the fight recently, and, and at the garden, I just, my dad was a, used to go to like Muhammad Ali's camp and shit, and cover boxing yeah. for 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 various news organizations he was in the news business so i grew up kind of loving boxing it's just an amazing amazing sport man well and you, i mean so you're pretty tall how much you weigh six two when i was fighting i, I when i did i was going to do golden gloves in in california it was going to be at 165 and that was really hard for me to get down bet, to yeah now i probably walk around like 180 185 that's and fine. I would, so i it's funny so i'm five i'm 5 whatever and i i, I fight at 165, 165. So, yeah that's wow yeah <laughs> but that's even a good cut for you because you don't look too. You're not. I mean, you're in shape, but you're not one of these like sticks. Yeah, you no, know, I'm, I'm like 172. He's right got hips. Yeah, he's got some, you got some hips. You got yeah, some curves. You look yeah, like one of Eric's bitches. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Well, anyway, so where are you going with that with the boxing? I don't know. So what do, what do we do here? What is what do you guys yeah, usually we, do when you have people? Well, we'll come start on. recording now. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you ready to start? <laughs> I'm, I'm warmed up. Warmed up. <laughs> I'm fucking ready to go. I got my ibuprofen in. That's how Tim Ferriss does. You know, he like talks for like an hour with the guests, and then they start recording. Uh-huh. Like, to me, I'm like, this is like the best part. No, yeah, yeah. I, I actually don't even like like I don't like eating before I do a podcast with anybody. I don't like so any interaction. You're not gassy. I want yeah, because I'll be very flatulent. <laughs> no, but like I want every first interaction to happen. When we're talking, yeah. I don't want to like recreate those sure. moments on yeah. the podcast. And oftentimes the beginning, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes, uh, if you're honest with yourself, you'll get the juice out. You know, well, now that we started recording, why don't we talk about the poltergeist? Yes, yeah. the poltergeist. <laughs> Let's do it. But what is it when you guys, I mean, do you talk about well, we efficiency have, no, and stuff yeah, with so people? I, I, I actually, I mean, I've been asking you know, about how you sort of got to this point. So one of the things I do want to find out about is the entrepreneurial side of what you're doing. Sure. Because there is, you know, Andrew Schultz is sitting here with us. But there's also a business now that is your sure, brand yeah. and who you are. And you have a podcast with Charlotte. I mean, it's sure. a big major podcast. Uh, you're doing TV stuff. It's it's a it's you know it's a business sure. know, and everything. So what does that look like on a daily basis when you're you know other than performing? Right? Yeah, which is late at night usually. Yeah, performing's late at night for if it's if I'm in the city only 15 20 minutes. You know, it's yeah. not that not that long. But the rest of the day is just um, just laziness, just a lot of scrolling on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> I wish it was way more productive. <laughs> I really do. When Nick says, come meet me at a Soho house, I'm like, okay. Like, I can do something today. Uh, no, so sometimes I'm too, <laughs> finally, <laughs> I just to put on the calendar. No, I, uh, I, I have a... Uh, Nick really likes inviting celebrities to Soho house. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's never happened with me. I'm not a celebrity, but yeah, when he gets the opportunity. It's yeah. a mere shift. I think uh, I think for me it's like it's an indirect job. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> One day it's it will an inside joke. It's an inside <laughs> yeah, yeah, joke. Listen, <laughs> if you ever need to buy, I a invited house. a celebrity once to to Soho House. That's the joke that he's making fun of me for. <laughs> oh, who, who? I'm not going to name the name. Right oh, really? <laughs> he was in town. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, well, if you want, I'm going to Soho House. If you want to, did he join. show up? No, no and, and he's been right giving back. me shit for like a, like over a year now about it. <laughs> well, good for you for at least doing it. Yeah, fuck yeah. How big was how big a celebrity? I'm pretty big. <laughs> like in your world or in the entertainment? Like, uh, like in the universe. Oh wow! Yeah, you invited who did you invite? Tony? You invited Tony? <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. You piece of shit. <laughs> You're a robot, would, dude. Look, like, do you not have a calculation to... in your brain? Like seventy-five mm, percent uh, embarrassing. Like, does it not do that at all? Nothing. I love I, it. I, yeah, I just wait. You know. It was a probability waiting, and I yeah, was like, yeah. all right, it's worth it to send. Absolutely, because what if he send? does show up? It's just yeah. such good material. That's oh, God. 
Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, so my day is basically that. I mean, look, there's like a lot of, you know, kind of emailing. I'll do uh, auditions and stuff like that sometimes. So it's I'll have to kind of prepare for these auditions. But one of the struggles for me in my everyday life is creating structure. So I'll like have to say from two to three, you're writing. From 11 to one, you're going to the gym. From whatever, and if I don't put that in, I tend to just distract myself with nonsense, mm-hmm. and it, it can become very inefficient. And uh, are you still using Trello? For, yeah. So I showed Andrew at at Ludlow House Trello the other week, and yeah. um, I have my assistant, my actually my real life assistant on Trello now too. Yeah, yeah. Probably one of the few comedians using some of the tools that that w- that we use for small business. Oh, it's been great. You guys redid my website. It was it was very good. Yeah, and you're you're using RVAs as well. But apart yeah. from that. Uh, the Trello is working out to... Why don't you explain to people how you're using Trello? So, yeah, so Trello's uh, just this... Um, I don't even know how to explain it. Project uh, management Yeah, tool, project, I'm trying to think. Like, it's just a to-do list that other people can see. That's how I would explain it. So, right now, I just huh. write all my to-do lists. That's a cool way to explain it. And look, it. there's many more things you can do with it. But for me, it's essentially a to-do list. And what it, what it does for me is, like, I'll tell my assistant to do a bunch of things for me. And then I'll get panic attacks three days later. Like, did you do those things? Did, did you forget to do those things? And now I'm wondering if they forgot. So for me, all it is is I put these things in the to-do list, and then I can go check if she's moved them into the done file. And it's really nice and comforting because I know they didn't yeah. go anywhere. I know she's going to check. So it alleviates that stress of is this getting done, which I personally like to delegate responsibility, but I don't like the stress that comes with the delegation of are these people getting these things done? Well, the man, I mean, you're really, it's so that's the thing is, it's a, it's a good point because a lot of people mix up the difference between delegation and management. You're talking mm. about management, mm. which you shouldn't be doing. You should be delegating it, meaning that you're letting them go do what they need to do and then come back to you when it's done. Yeah, I hate management. Yeah, well, yeah. most people do. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it too. That's probably why those restaurants went into the ground. Probably. Because well, yeah. I hate it. <laughs> I, subconsciously, you're like, put the cider bar oh, in there. Yeah, just so it goes. That's, that's the kill switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I put this place out of business? Yeah. Sooner, fucking cider bar. So fucking bad. Once once you go into the comedy cellar at that upstairs and you see a a cider bar, then you know it's (laughs) it's over. You you know it's game over there. Um, So, but I mean, seriously, you know, how does a comedian grow their business, right? Mm. Like, what what is what are you looking at as like how do you you know bigger shows, bigger? I mean, like, what is what is the avenue? Okay, so for me, uh, first when I was very young in my career was leverage. It was well, the first thing was. I know leverage, right? Hey, you can't help but use the brand. It's, exactly. it's a fucking good name. It's a good so, brand. It is a great name. Well, the first thing was undeniably funny, right? If I'm undeniably funny, then you can't use that as an excuse not to put me in something or book me on something, right? So the first thing is get undeniably funny. How do I get undeniably funny? I got to get stage time. How do I get stage time? At first, I handed out tickets for comedy clubs in exchange for stage time, right? Um, that was efficient stage time because you had new audiences every single night so I could try the same jokes. There are a lot of people that promote their own shows, but they have a similar audience come every single time, so they can't really work the same material. And, you know, contrary to popular belief in me, you guys are comedy fans, you know this, but a lot of people listening might not know, it takes months, years to get the same little joke ready. So I needed different crowds every night. So after I was working for these comedy clubs, um, handing out tickets in exchange for time, there was a there was a empty room that was used as a kind of pseudo comedy club named the Village Lantern. It was a downstairs area, the Village Lantern. And what we would essentially do is just ha- hang out outside of Bleecker between Thompson and Sullivan and ask people if they want to come in for a free comedy show. And, you know, sometimes it'd be six people, sometimes it'd be 30 people, but we'd get people down. And again, this was new crowds every single night. There were Swedish people, people from fucking Denmark. It was <laughs> a lot of times foreigner, you know, like it, we were just d- d- roping them into a bad show. But the idea was I get to do tons of time. I can bomb. I have nobody to impress, right? That's a huge thing. It's like in order to develop a unique comedic voice, you can't be concerned about getting booked next week, in my personal opinion, right? So these people on the road who are hosting a show at the Funny Bone Comedy Club, their concern might be, okay, I got to do really well, so I get another weekend next month. Our thing was these people are going back to Sweden, so fuck them. So, (laughs) right? Like, so we're trying whatever material. We're lashing out at the crowd. I mean, I had a girl uh, throw a candle at me once. I had a girl say she wished I died in a house fire. I had a guy try to fight me. I mean, like. Wait. Oh, yeah. What did you say to make them want to fight you? Uh, The girl, I said the the female orgasm is unnecessary. Evolutionarily. But Uh she personalized. Like, I just said it doesn't get you pregnant, right? And it doesn't 
do anything for me to come. So it's just not needed, right? <laughs> so that was just this. That's, that's <laughs> but, that a little. But so she took it really. Uh, you know, she you know she really was offended by it. But I was just working through. You know, my comedy. I want to. I want you to disagree with the premise, and then I want you to. I, then I want to find a way to get you to agree with me, right? Because if you already agree, that's too easy. Yeah. So I push you away, and then I try to pull you back in. That's that's the fun part. But the problem with that is. Is learning how to do that style, yeah. and when they don't, when when you can't pull them back, in. then they throw a candle at you and yeah. say they, they wish you died. How far? How far? <laughs> so, uh, so we were getting in fist fights almost, and like having shit thrown at us. And uh, but what it what it allowed us to do is develop this style that was, you know, a lot of young comics just don't have the ability to develop. They just are not. They don't have that. They can't. They they're not raised in a place. Where you can develop something like that. So, what did you say to make the guy want to fight you? Uh, I just did some joke about something. I, I don't even remember the joke. Some maybe some shit about like jail rape or something. <laughs> he had been in jail and, and it, it, he got really. It was like a whole thing. He like stood up and then outside we start tussling. My dad showed up. It was so weird. Like my dad came to see my show and the first thing he sees me just grab some guy by his shirt and throw him up against like a telephone, <laughs> like a payphone. My dad's just like Andrew, how'd the show go? Was that <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So it was, but so basically, we create that. I can get up on stage. I can get funnier. Then my next thing is, okay, how are people getting up on stage in the city? What do they need? Do they need leverage in some way to get on stage? Yes. VH1 had Best Week Ever. You remember that show? Yeah. All the comics on Best Week Ever were performing at all these comedy clubs. So I go, okay, they're on TV regularly. That gets them in the comedy club. I need to find a way to get on TV regularly so I can have some leverage to get in the comedy club. Because essentially when you're getting booked at a comedy club, you're asking the comedy club to stop booking someone they already like, right? So I'm taking away your job. So I go, okay, fine. I'm going to get on a show that's weekly, and then that's when Guy Code happened on MTV2. People might not be watching Guy Code. What, what is Guy Code it was about? Just a, it was a talking head show similar to VH1's Best Week Ever. You know, people in front of the green screen, they're just talking about guy shit. I mean, like, really kind of silly, innocuous things. You, do you shave your pubic hair or not? You know, how do you handle a hangover? Like, what is the guy thing to do? And uh, But it really touched a chord. I mean, there was really nothing masculine on TV at the time, or even currently. So it was, you know, kids really were into it and became a big show for a younger demographic. And it allowed me to break into these comedy clubs. And luckily, I'd, I had already worked on the funny. So by the time I was in the club, they were like, oh, this guy's really right. funny. So then they could start saying Andrew Schultz from the guy code, right? So now which, you have which, something to sell me. It's building momentum, I exactly. guess, right? So it's that's a, the initial thing with the, that was how the initial career got going. It's really, it's crazy how, even though we're in completely different spaces, the thought process is really similar in terms sure. of, you know, you have to test something and iterate and iterate and iterate and hustle and grind and um, till you figure, find something that works and not be afraid to fail. And it's really, everything you're describing is like really the mindset that's required for someone to be an entrepreneur, for those mm. listening that want to be an entrepreneur. Mm. And um, a lot of pe people fail because... They don't test enough things and find in the business world, it's called product market fit, where mm. you figure out, okay, what are people willing to pay for? But in the same sense, it's, you know, you have to test so like thousands and thousands of jokes until you figure out, all right, what do people laugh at? Because that's essentially your version of what we have. People pay us for a virtual assistant service. Mm. You know, you have to test until people laugh. So same, same thought process. You just have to have a shitload of resilience. Yeah, that resilience is tough. Yeah. It is uh, because it's hard not to get to take it as an ego hit when you fail. For sure. And uh, I really admire people who just have no fear of rejection or failure. I mean, I had a friend of mine when he was younger, Siddiqui Thomas, and he could he would hit on 20 girls on the street. It just didn't matter to him. Like he the idea of him getting rejected and like looking silly in front of his friends didn't exist. Yeah. It's like our friend Dove. Yeah, Dove doesn't care. Like yeah. Dove, Dove is wildly sensitive in terms of like what people think of him. But I wonder if he's following right now. Maybe. On Facebook. But um, and I love Dove. But uh, but he'll just hit on. He'll just hit on. He's also one of the greatest talkers in the history of the world. He could go down in history for the the best. Schmoozing, nobody is better at schmoozing. No. Like I'll introduce him to somebody from like some weird ass fucking Bahrain or some country, and I'm like, Bahrain, you ever go over to uh, Makhdumuk, the street? My, my cousin, a, a, my cousin has a bagel uh, shop the in, on the corner. Yeah, it's like what the fuck, Bahrain? Dude, we though? went to dinner in LA. I was in LA this last week. Yeah. We went to some fucking random fish 
sh- uh, fish restaurant. Yeah. He knew three people of in course. this restaurant. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and like a personal story for each one. He knows everything about the world. He knows at least five words in every language. It's un- he's a savant. Yeah. yeah. No, he's, he's a genius in some respects. He, yeah, he's learned a few phrases in every language. Every language. And he knows everything about pop culture. He could Mr. tell you what the Kardashians wore last week on their premiere. Oh, episode. absolutely. He and he could tell you how they smell. I remember when we were kids, we'd go to the clubs, and that was his line to a girl. He'd like go smell a girl. Uh, yeah. and are then, you wearing Chanel? Yeah, yeah. What are you wearing? A Chanel? What are you wearing? Fucking Drakkar in the water? Whatever. Something like that. And I'm like, dude, who knows this many fucking perfumes, bro? What are you just in Bloomingdale's sampling all day? How the fuck do you do this? I guess that's what happened when you grow up with three girls or something. But, yeah, 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 it was funny you say that. When I used to go out. Uh, hitting on girls when we were single. My my group of friends in New York, we we were all traders, but when we would go out, instead of uh, selling girls that we were traders, we used to say, um, our line was that we're the creative director for Christian Louboutin. And we A-B tested a bunch of different jobs. You and that A-B was... tested, you <laughs> fucking psycho. Same, same thing <laughs> as you. You're testing jokes. Exactly. We're testing pickup lines. Really? So it's like, I'm a high-frequency trader. All right, that's like 5% uh, <laughs> conversion rate. Yeah. Louboutin uh, designer, it's like 30 to 40 percent But they didn't rip. think you were gay? No, no, no. That if might you, even work better. Because then they want to change you too. Not even – I don't know about change you, but they're but they're way more comfortable initially. And then – so then they – you ingratiate yourself with yeah. no guard up. Yeah. yeah. I, and uh, then they find out you're straight and it's like – This – this it wasn't me to be honest. It was my French friends. So they would do it in a French accent. Oh, and it was a, it was a lot more believable that of they course. actually like were the head of so shoe what, design. What was yours? Converse? Yeah. <laughs> hey, my name is Nick Javianas. I'm, I'm the creative you want a pair? director of one of those awful fucking sandals. Yeah. What are they yeah. No, 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 no. Tiva. I'm the creative yeah. director of Tiva. You want some Velcro sandals, babe? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever let's, color you want. It's let's on do me. a reef walk. <laughs> um, so who who are your, like, who do you, like, I don't want to say idol, but, like, who do you really admire in your space? Like, who do you look up to? As far as uh, their business or as their, or well, as far as their stand-up? Uh, stand-up and in terms of just how they've how they've managed to be a comedian and, and be a businessman in in that world. Okay, so because business and stand-up, totally different. I, I get that. So th- let's hear both. Okay, uh, stand-up, I love Patrice O'Neill. I think he's the best ever, probably. I uh, love uh, Dave Chappelle. Love Chris Rock. Kind of newfound appreciation for Louis C.K. He's going to have a new special come out. I think it's going to be phenomenal. I've seen some of the material he's been working on. It's brilliant. But I've never, like, was a big Louis fan. But uh, love those guys uh, stand-up-wise. Um, but business-wise, Patrice O'Neill could be the worst, you know, comic ever for how great his stand-up was. Like, for what he was able to do on stage, he was so bad at business that he wasn't the biggest comic in the world and he really should and he really should have been in my in my personal opinion mm-hmm. um chris rock on the other hand is is a savvy business guy you know he understands his lane he understands how to do certain things um but maybe not like maybe not business hmm, i'm trying to think like a kevin hart put it this way kevin hart's a businessman though, no kevin hart's a great businessman and, and here's something specific that he that he did which was which was which great and kind of drake has done this too in a weird way but um, it's very important if you're a minority comic to never leave your base. You can – you always have to feed your base. So let's say Kevin Hart's base is black people, mm-hmm. right, black Americans, right? You can cross over to white, Asian, you know, uh, you know, whatever, Filipino, like everything, Indian, and be a universally accepted comic. But you can never let your base know that you're not still there for them because your base will hold you down – when time gets times get rough. So if you notice, he does a m- huge blockbuster movie with Will Ferrell, and then also does a season of a faux reality show on BET called The Real Housewives of Hollywood, mm-hmm. right? So he's always feeding this base and letting them know, hey, thank you, I got you, I want to make content for you, I'm not leaving you, mm-hmm. I didn't use you to get where I am, I'm still doing this and other people are coming to us. And what I've noticed, especially with minorities, is is that once you're famous in their eyes, you'll be famous always for mm-hmm. them. With, well, I don't even know, with, with mainstream, whatever it is, you know what I mean? Because there's not like this unified idea of like white culture in America, like when you're just mainstream famous, you can just stop being famous and then it's done. If you're mainstream Irish famous, you'll always be. 
mm-hmm. right? Mainstream Italian, like if you're Italian and you take care of Italian, you'll always be in their eyes. Um, but it, I thought it was, it's just a brilliant business technique. And that, that's what Drake did when he just started becoming from Toronto all of a sudden, right? Drake came to America and he was just this rapper in America. And then by his like maybe third album, all of a sudden he's, it's the six and I love Toronto and Toronto this, and this is my home. And he realized he needed to serve a base and have a home because he would never be fully accepted by America. If he claimed LA, they would be like, no, you're not really from LA dog. So who would you say is your base then right now? I don't know. It's very difficult. I don't, I don't have it. I mean, I identify as a New Yorker, yeah. right? I identify as uh, a man. Um, I mean, the things I identify as probably first as a New Yorker, then just a man that believes in masculinity and in to a certain extent machismo. And I think that's where I kind of tap into that. And I think the, the people that follow me um, and also, you know, kind of um, – uh, hopefully a thought leader, like being able to, you know, think of things in a provocative and kind of different way. So hopefully the people that, that I'm talking for um, are maybe guys who feel like they don't have the same voice or that they would like, or I'm saying things that they don't know. And then um, women that actually kind of appreciate a, a masculine voice. They're not you know, afraid of it. Back to the people that you admire, where do you put Robin Williams in terms of stand-up comedy or being I was a never a fan no? of his stand-up. I mean, honestly, it seems kind of bad because he's dead and all. I wasn't even really a fan of him as an actor. I always felt it, it kind of like it gave me anxiety a little bit. It was so much, But that being said, I recognize him as a great, not trying to shit on a dead man's grave, but apparently like he, you know, people would say that he was a joke thief. You know, that like if Rob Williams was in the back of the club, you didn't do your A material because he was going to take it. Uh-huh. So, um, I mean, it's sad, you know, because of what, what's happened. But, you know, I think dying doesn't really, you know, um, well, yeah, leave you from you'd, anything you'd, you've done in your life. Yeah. And what about Seinfeld or Larry David and those types of people? Love Larry is like a creative genius. I think he's just a brilliant creative mind. Seinfeld, uh, I think he's brilliant stand-up comic. I think he's... Um, maybe more famous than he is an amazing stand-up. Um, but but still a great stand-up comic. I just wouldn't put him on Mount Rushmore. Gotcha. A lot of times we get confused with like, stand-up is so subjective because who your favorite is and who the best is are, are, are very, it's very blurred because liking someone makes them that much funnier. The close, I, I don't know either of those people, but have you heard of a, a com- comedian or comic writer, Alan Zweibel? Mm. He was a writer for Kirby Enthusiasm, okay. close with these people. He was a writer on SNL like okay. back in like 70s and 80s. And I was friends with his daughter in um, in school growing up, and we were all in Lake Tahoe. I was like 11 or 12, hanging out with, like, I didn't know who the guy was. I was friends with the daughter, and I was hanging out playing some video games in their room, and he wasn't trying to impress anyone. He, he's just such a weird, funny guy. On the counter, he must have had like a thousand of those little ketchup bottles and then like thousands of forks and knives. And I was like, Alan, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why do you need so much ketchup? He's like, we're staying at like a Hyatt in Tahoe. And he's like, I thought it'd be funny if I tried to like put a hurt on them and ketchup and, and forks and knives. I'm just trying, for the fuck of it, I want to see if I can. <laughs> I just want to see if I can wipe them out of, like, utensils for the night. <laughs> right? And it, there's no, like, video cameras. Like, that was just who this guy was. I was like, <laughs> I always remember that. What a weird thing to get over on. So, <laughs> when I was a kid, we tried to do that with hot water to a hotel that we were staying in. We were in Spain, and we were just like, I doubt they have, like, tons of hot water. Like, it was just this American mentality. Just wipe them out of hot water. <laughs> so we just ran the showers thinking the hot water. Like, we didn't think it was a first world country that would just have unlimited hot water. But, uh, but yeah, maybe there is something in, in comedians to do these kind of weird pranks yeah, you, you fuckers as are, adults. You, yeah, you fuckers are weird. I mean... Another thing, what was it, three years ago, I remember with you, I was, when I was doing Calvin. Yeah. And you're a great talker, and with okay. all your experience with the stand-up, I remember I, I suck at it. I'm something I'm really working on, which when I, I have to do a talk, a couple of big talks in, in a few months, so I might have to hit you up again. Yeah, but sure. I remember calling you up, hey, I, I'm in the finals of this pitch, can you help me with my presentation? And I'd already spent like over 100 hours on it, and I get to your place, I give it to you once, and you're like, oh, sit down. And in like <laughs> two minutes, 
you nailed it better than I had even gotten 10% there after hundreds of hours. And I honestly was thinking of just letting you pitch it for I would have done it. I would have done it. Give me some equity. Yeah, maybe we... Well, it would have been worth nothing. <laughs> Still, I'll take the risk. I believe yeah. in you. Yeah, we might have to make you our ringer for some of the bigger presentations we have with leverage. I'm with it, man. Yeah. No, but I think that you got it. I think... Uh... Just, I think, I think what would probably be best for you is if you don't have any sheet whatsoever. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I like the fireside chat stuff. I hate like getting up on stage with like a slides. And I having think, to do I that. think because what will happen to you is you'll become addicted to the slides. Yeah, you won't be able to separate that thing of I'm just going to speak naturally, and these are just talking points. You'll have to read the actual point. So I think for you, the best thing would be is just remove the points and force you to just say what you know about this product. And then naturally your sense of humor will come out because you'll fumble a line, then you'll say something to cover it up. Or I think putting you in that kind of vulnerable situation, that sink or swim situation, I think you'll swim. You just have to have the confidence. Yeah, really I, I hate the, the structured shit. Um, just put the pictures up and then talk about these things that you already know better than everybody in that room. You have to be confident you know it better than anybody in the room. And you probably do because it's your business. I, my problem, and this is an interesting topic actually, uh, my problem is... I'm I'm very precise, you know, I'm an engineer by background. Yeah. I don't like, even on the team, like, you should see, like, I'm the, uh, people, like, we're, we're good cop, bad cop. I'm, like, sure. by far the bad cop. Absolutely. You know, Ari and I were talking the other day, I was like, why the fuck did we do 200 less hours last week? And Ari wrote right after, it's amazing that we still broke, like, a thousand hours. <laughs> like, that's the way that we think. So, uh, I'm very precise. So, when people are like, podcast downloads are up, I'll write back. Ari will write that, so that's wonderful. I'll be like, I'll write back. What the fuck does that even mean? Did we get one more download? Did we get like ten thousand more downloads? Like, be precise. So, when I'm speaking, I have I hold myself to the same standard. So I like to make sure that I say things exactly how they should be. Yeah, and it becomes a negative sometimes because then I'll get in my head. Yeah, and then I'll stumble on words because yeah. I want to use the right word. And I got, that's what I got to work on. Yeah, just get over it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what you're, you're actually much better prepared for the world we live in now. Because of the internet, we are held accountable for every single word we say. You can't really say something kind of right anymore. Yeah. Because someone will hold it against you 10 years later. Like you'll say, eh, the reality is, is that the, you know, the calendar Calvin business is, um, it's just an antiquated model and they have better things, blah, blah, blah. And then 10 years later, you'll invest in a business about it and they'll be like, well, 10 years ago you said. Yeah. And I have proof right here that you said that. Exactly. So, so your precision is, is probably good for the world we live in, but for public speaking, it's not. Yeah. You have to be able just to talk and have a conversation. And I'm with you because I'm in this world where I'm held accountable for everything I say. So when I'm on the podcast that I do with Charlemagne. I'm it, it, I'm in my head, man. Even me in my head. I'm yeah. in my head because like I know I'm going to be accountable for every single word. This is a sarcastic joke, but they're going to try to pin this on me as my actual thoughts and my actual feelings about a situation. So if I were you, the precision isn't bad. What is important is sentiment. You don't have to get the exact number right, but get the idea and feeling behind what you're talking about right. Yeah, you know that's a good, that's what a good is point. this talk that you're speaking on? That you're gonna have. Um, it's it's pr the propeller uh, conference. There's a few thousand people in New Jersey. I'm speaking there at May. And what are you talking about? I don't know yet. They haven't told me. They just they just asked me if I would speak. I don't even know how long it is. Or... But it's about your business, I assume. Yeah, it's about entrepreneurship and that type of shit. When when I get the details, I'll reach out to you and we'll work yeah. on that. Um, and you're welcome to come as a yeah, guest. Yeah, I want to check it out. Yeah, but you uh, already know. Like, just say everything you know, and then yeah, that's it. it, it it's it's just like a, not a natural thing that I've really had to work on. It's one of the it's one of the the points that I've really had to spend a lot of time Acknowledge on, that right up front. You can be like, listen, I'm a very precise person. I come from a mathematical background. I hate public speaking. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to fucking be here. I'm forced to be <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go that far. But, but you can say, I hate public speaking because uh, a lot of times we say things that are not 100% precise. Yeah. You can't just speak in equations. It's uh, boring. So, I honestly, I don't mind it. I don't hate it at all, to right. be honest. It doesn't bother me. I'm just... I just know that there's room for improvement, that's all. Sure. To switch subjects a little bit, though, mm -hmm. um, so you told us you, you, you were on Guy Code, then you got into stand-up, and you grind and hustled, and mm -hmm. you got to where you're at. Mm -hmm. So where are you now? Like, what what are you working on? What, what are all the projects that you have? So uh, the first thing after I, I, I got, did the MTV2 shows and the MTV shows, 
I was kind of like the MTV's guy for a little bit. I hosted Spring Break. I hosted these, you know, music festivals. I had, you know, five different shows on TV. I, I, I had a nice little run there. Um, and then, but during this run, I'm thinking, oh shit, what am I going to do after this? Right? Because eventually, you know, I'm, I'm going to age out of MTV, or I'm, I'm not going to be interested in being on MTV, or they're not going to be interested in me being on MTV. So you're not going to always have that girlish figure. Exactly. You know, I'm not going to have the, those cute little hips that we're no. talking about. No. So I had to, I was like, so, how do I find, especially with all security? that basketball that you're playing, <laughs> dude, it's the worst. <laughs> My back is destroyed. But, uh, but I was like, how do I find some way to, uh, some job security essentially, mm. you know? And, uh, so, in, you know, playing these clubs on the weekend is one form of it. And, um, where I go around different parts of the country and I get paid to perform different clubs. So I'm like, I want to build that up. That could be my retirement fund, so to say. Um, cause I never want to beg for work. I want to be able to do what I love. Right. So, and then the other thing was this podcast idea and Charlemagne came up to me with it and he was like, do you want to do it? And I'm like, yes. And it turned into a business that, you know, we, we make money on. And one of the greatest things about it is, is we don't have bosses, that can fire us or we don't have bosses that tell us not to do something, et cetera. So now I have this stand-up revenue stream. I have this podcast revenue stream. And I have these two revenue streams that are dependent on me, essentially, right? I can say I'm going to do a club and people will come out. And it really frees me up to do projects that I want to do. You know, I don't have to audition to be in a herpes commercial because I need to pay my rent. What I what I can do is go out for TV shows that I really want to do and that I'm interested in and projects that I'm really interested in, um, and it's 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 very liberating. So I would say that to anybody who's who's you know an entrepreneur who's who's developing uh, their own business in no matter what it is, find some way to create stability and job security. I don't care if it means you buy a place that has an extra room and you're able to rent that room out and you clear after your mortgage five hundred dollars a month. At least you know you have food money like you could eat if you have to on $500 a month for me that kind of security is there's freedom there yeah, yeah. so now the the main things are your is, is there some upcoming tour that you want to so, promote or like can tell well, people some more store, about brilliant idiots yeah I do I well so there's brilliant idiots I do a stand-up tour right now it's called mansplained and uh, it's a fun tour so I'm uh, you can check that out on my website the andrew schulz.com s-c-h-u-l-z I have a, a a sitcom that's on Netflix right now called Benders. Um, we did it for the IFC channel, but it's on Netflix. And I just filmed a, a sitcom in L.A. called um, uh, There's Johnny. And it's about 1972 when Johnny Carson took The Tonight Show to L.A. And it's about the people behind the scenes on The Tonight Show. And uh, Tony Danza plays Freddie de Cordova, who is the producer of The Tonight Show. And I play one of the writers on the show. And uh, it's uh, So that's going to be coming out in, in August. And where will that be on? on you can check that on CISO, which is NBC streaming platform. And and the the Netflix one is on Netflix right now. Yeah, it's an IFC show that that Netflix basically is putting on their platform. So you check that out. So that's what I'm doing. I'm like auditioning for these things, and then think about more projects that I can create for myself. You know, that's there's the balance of when you're in this any field, and I'm sure you relate. It's uh, you look at what everybody else is doing, and then you feel like you should be doing that because you're in the field. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm an entrepreneur, so I should have an office space. Should I? You know what I mean? Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I should um, be at this conference. Well, should do I want to go to this conference? Is that enjoyable for me to do? So if I see all these people doing a sitcom, and I go, I should make a sitcom, I have to really sit there and go, wait, will that bring me joy? Is that If I had all the free time and free money in the world, would I make a sitcom? So what, what I try to do is with my free time is is go, what would I do if I had all the resources in the world? Let me do that for a living. So uh, that that is my that is what I'm at right now. It's like, do I want to create a sitcom? Do I want to create a different type of show, et cetera? Yeah, that's, that's, that's really great. And if you ne- ever need uh, inspiration for material, you can always come and hang out with me and Larry Love at the park. <laughs> Absolutely. Dude, that was so much fun. I think I have videos of it. I have Instagram videos or something. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun. Um, so we're getting close to having to wrap up, but cool. before wrapping up, is there, I'm really curious to know from your point of view, what joke are you most proud of? I'm always most proud of my, my most recent material. Yeah. Because it's the most exciting to me, but anytime I can like justify something really per, like something that's perceived as fucked up, it, it's fun for me. So but, what's, uh, okay. Then the, what's the most fucked up joke? Well, I don't know if it's most fucked up, but I'm, I've been doing this joke recently, which is um, uh, it's uh, it's hard to be a, a a a feminist and a foodie, 
because, um, you know, all the countries that treat women the worst have the most delicious food. <laughs> so, so I do a long, I do a long bit about you know, like the more, you know, countries like stay in the kitchen, the better the food. Yeah. So I have a bit about that, and it goes on, and I won't, I won't bit. do the whole bit for everybody here. But uh, I, you did one that I thought was funny, but I think, I think it was like, it was so abrupt that the audience. Uh, I don't know how in the long run it, it worked out for you. I thought it was hilarious. What you was did it one. About? You did one where it's like, do you think women in starving countries swallow? <laughs> <laughs> I was like on the floor laughing, and then I just saw like some people were fucking shocked by that one. <laughs> it's a good question, right? It's food. I think it's a great question. There's a yeah. lot of protein in that. There's, there's, there, it's actual food. Like maybe that's why men were more powerful than women in uh, society. It's just because we had food in our dicks. You should partner up with like Bill Gates on like the whole food hunger movement thing yeah, or, or just, some of those philanthropists and be like, look, I found the cure to world hunger. Maybe that's why Bill Gates is putting like water everywhere. It's just so guys can wash their dicks enough to get them sucked. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it's a clean dick, you got There you go. That's food for one. You know what I mean? And when you get your blood, when you get a blowjob, you're not hungry afterwards. You're like, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. Like, you well, ate. You're, you're, I'm ready yeah. for a nap. <laughs> both, pe- both parties are not hungry. See? This is how you take a horrible concept and then turn it into a uh, funny joke. At least we think it's funny. All right. Well, we always end these these interviews asking a question, and it is, what are three pieces of advice that you have for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like. Three pieces of advice to be more effective? Yeah. Uh, In in life or just— In uh, in life. Maybe I'll do new things. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is assume people like you. I'm trying to do that more. Assume people like you because when you assume someone likes you, you treat them better. Now, this often leaves you open for somebody to be an absolute dickhead to you. But I think being closed off in general shuts off more potential relationships. And that was something I probably struggled with where I was like, you know, I might go into a situation going, I don't know if this guy fucking likes me, whatever. So I'm shut off from him, and then he gets a shut off vibe from me, and then we don't connect. And that could have been somebody that I could have really helped out in his life, or he could have really helped me out. So I think assuming people like, like, for example, if you meet a guy, right, and you don't know anything about him, and you have an interaction, you're going to treat him a certain way. If you meet a guy, but your friend just told me, just told you before, dude, he thinks your business idea is genius. Anything that guy says to you, is a little bit better. That's, that's really true. So I think I think assuming somebody likes you, it doesn't hurt you in any way. It can only bring positive situations. Is one, um, two is like uh, be extreme. Try to try to take uh, extreme care of your mental health. I think I'm at my most productive. I'm at my happiest when I'm taking care of my mental health. And be that a cocktail of exercise, social interaction, productivity, um, sleep, whatever it is. But just Get your mental health on point, and everything else can flourish after that. And then um, three, um, outwork everybody. You know, there's a certain. I think we have. You are gifted. Um, you have. A, you have a great brain on you. That is something that you know you've nurtured, but it's also a gift. You know, and um, you know I'm fortunate that like I'm, I'm what you call one trick pony. I'm good at like one thing, and I'm fucking horrible at, a, yeah, at like everything else. You're good at one thing. You're great yeah. at actually. You're great at one thing. You're elite at yeah. one thing, and being elite is better than anything else in the world because you monetize elite. It's hard to monetize good, right? So, um, I think at least for me, I'm gifted in that like I can just kind of hang out and look at a world, and all of a sudden these jokes kind of come to me. I don't know what the fuck that's about. I don't know why my brain is wired that way. I don't know when I see starving countries, I think about swallowing. I don't, yeah. But that's how my brain. <laughs> that's how my brain goes. Right? It's just it literally things start tickling, and I start kind of laughing a little bit, and then it goes there. That is magic. I don't know why that is. Right? But I understand also that I can outwork somebody like i can go i can go 14 hours i can do 24 like i can just do it like it's like oh this is the deadline let's do it it's not just even about outwork with you like we want it's the resilience too it's not just that you can work hard it's like you can work hard under tough times and yep. still overcome it knowing like in your heart that in 10 years it's going to work out or however long it's going to work yeah, out yeah yeah so that's 
That's a oh, and I would say one more is um, something that I picked up from my therapist that I thought was really effective, and might have might have changed my my life slightly. Is uh, being good enough. I think a lot of times we go like I have to be the best, or it's a failure. So if you're not the best, a lot of times you feel like a failure all fucking time. But it's all there's also value to feeling good enough. Like we were saying on stage, you know, I would go. Uh, if I'm not killing today, all these people in the audience don't, don't think I'm that good, and then now I feel shitty about myself. When in reality, I could be like, no, no, I'm doing really good material, and this is great, and I'm supportive of this, and I'm really funny even if I don't do this. I am good enough. That will allow me to take chances that I would have never taken before. Those chances will set me apart from everybody else. So this idea of, okay, if – you know, this business that you're thinking of, Calvin or whatever like that, didn't didn't work out. Doesn't matter. You're still great. You're going to figure out – you're still good enough. You're going to figure out the next thing that is going to work. And setting that expectation and that kind of like self-belief is the platform for the confidence you need to be an entrepreneur. That's that's really great. I'll, I'll after this get the uh, therapist number because yeah, that sounds help, pretty helpful. I got you. Um, so how can people – like how can people find more and follow you? Like where should they be looking? Uh, they can check out the podcast. It's a Brilliant Idiots. I do a show on the God. Um, and it's a lot of fun. We put that out every week. And then um, you can check my website out for dates. It's theandrewschultz.com, S-C-H-U-L-Z. And uh, Twitter and Instagram is Andrew Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-Z, no T, even though I say it with a T. We'll have to get you back on another time for you to share with people some of your dating strategies. Oh, yes. Let's do it. I know. He <laughs> wants to take my dating app <laughs> and then put it, give it to the VAs. For... <laughs> you are a robot. Uh, but we'll save that for another interview. Thank you so much. It was of great. Want to create more positive leverage in your life? Visit www.getleverage.com to access additional interviews, our blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe to hear a new episode every week. 